Chapter Seven, Part One of Kangaroo by D. H. Lawrence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by William Jones, Benita Springs, Florida. As a rule, the jetty on its poles straddling a little way into the sea was as deserted as if it were some relic left by an old invader. It had spurts of activity when steamer after steamer came blorting and hanging miserably round like cows to the cowshed on a winter afternoon. Then a little engine would chuff along the pier, shoving a string of tip-up trucks, and little men would saunter across the skyline, and there would be a fine dimness of black dust around the low ship and the end of the jetty. Luckily, it was far enough away so that Harriet need not fear for her beautiful white washing. She washed her linen herself for the sheer joy of it, and loved nothing so much as thinking of it getting whiter and whiter like the Spencerian maid in the sun and sea, and visiting it on the grass every five minutes, and finding it every time really whiter, till summer said it would reach a point of whiteness where the colors would break up and she'd go out and find pieces of rainbow on the grass and bushes instead of towels and shirts couldn't i be started she said accepting it as quite a possible contingency and adding thoughtfully no not really one of these afternoons when summers was walking down on the sands looking at the different shells their sea colors of pink and brown and rainbow and brilliant violet and shrimp red and when the boats were loading coal on the moderately quiet sea he noticed a little engine standing steaming on the jetty just overhead where he was going to pass under then his attention was drawn away to the men picking up the rounded sea-smooth pebbles of coal in one little place where the beach was just a black slope of perfectly clean coal pebbles just like any other pebbles there were usually some men or women or children picking there putting the bigger pebbles of sea coal into sacks from the edge of the small waves summers heard one man talking to another and the english tones unconsciously expected a foreign language and particularly the peculiar educated artisan quality, almost a kind of uppishness that there is in the speech of Australian working men, struck him as incongruous with their picking up of the coal cobs from the shore. Them in the chill of the shadow. Yes, they thought as much of themselves as anybody. But one was palpably a Welshman, and loved picking up something for nothing and the other mixed his democratic uppishness with a queer lousy quality like a bushranger they are ten times more foreign to me said summers than italian scoundrels or even indians they are so foreign to me and yet their manner of life their ordinary way of living is almost exactly what i was used to as a boy why are they so foreign to me they silently objected to his looking so he went on 
he had come to the huge high timbers of the tall jetty. There stood the little engine still overhead, and in the gloom among the timbers underneath water was dripping down from her, which gave Summers a distaste for passing just then. He looked up. There was the engine driver in his dirty shirt and dirty bare arms, talking to another man. The other man saluted, and to Summers' surprise, it was William James. He stood quite still, and a surprised smile of recognition greeted the other man, who saluted. "'Why, what are you doing here?' called Summers. William James came to the edge of the jetty, but could not hear because of the noise of the sea. His face had that small, subtle smile that was characteristic of him, and which Summers was never quite sure of, whether it was really jeering or in a cunning way friendly. Roared William James, so Summers scrambled round up the banks and on to the railway track. I couldn't come down at the moment, said William James. I'll have to see the manager. Then I'm going off on this boat. We're ready to go. You heard her blowing. Where are you going? Back to Sydney? Yes. I come down occasionally on this coal business, and if I like, I go back on the collier. The sea is quiet, and I needn't wait for a train. Well, and how are you getting on like? Does it down here all by yourselves? Very. A bit lonely for you. I suppose you wouldn't like to know the manager here, Mr. Thomas? He's a decent chap, from South Wales originally. No, I like it best when I don't know anybody. Well, that's a compliment for some of us. However, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Jack tells me you saw Kangaroo. Made quite a fuss of you, I hear. I knew he would. Oh, Kangaroo knew all about you. All he wanted to know, anyhow. I say, if you think of stopping down here, you might get in a ton of coal. It looks like as if this strike might come off. Arbitration board's a fine failure, what? As far as I gather. Oh, bound to be. Bound to be. They talk about scraps of paper. Every agreement that's ever come to in this country, you could wrap your next red herring in it for all it's worth. I suppose it's like Ireland. They don't want to agree. Yeah, that's about it. Labor people want this revolution of theirs, what? He looked at Summers with a long, smiling, sardonic leer, like a wink. There is a certain fact, he continued, as far as any electioneering success goes, they're out of the running for us, Bill. What do you think of trades unions one way or another? I dislike them on the whole rather intensely. They're just the nastiest profiteering side of the working man. They make a fool of him, too, in my opinion. Just my opinion. They make a fool of him. Wouldn't it be nice to have them for bosses of the whole country? They very nearly are. But I doubt very much if they'll cover up the last lap. What? Not if Kangaroo can help it, said Summers. No. William James flashed a quick look at him from his queer gray eyes. What did you make of him, then? Could you make him out? Not quite. I never met anyone like him. 
the wonder to me is he seems to have as much spare time for entertaining and amusing his guests as if he had no work at all on hand oh that was just a special occasion but he's a rather funny sort of saviour isn't he not much crown of thorns about him why he'd look funny on a cross what no intention of being put on one i think said summer stiffly oh i don't know if the wrong party got a hold of him there's many mites in a pound of cheese they say then i'll toast my cheese <laughs> oh yes i like a bit of toasted cheese myself or a welsh rabbit as well as any man but you don't think they'll ever let him down do you these australians no said william james i doubt if they'll ever let him down but if he happened to fall down you know they'd soon forget him you don't sound a very warm follower yourself oh warm isn't my way in anything i like to see what i'm about i can see that kangaroo's a wonder oh yes he's a world wonder and i'd rather be in with him than anybody if it was only for the sake of the spree you know bound to be a spree some time and before long i should say going as they are i wouldn't like to be left out of the fun but don't you feel any strong devotion to your leader why no i wouldn't say it's exactly strong devotion but i think he's a world wonder he's quite the shape of a man that i should throw away my eyes for that's all i mean again william james looked at summers with that long perhaps mocking little smile in his gray eyes i thought even his shape was beautiful when he talked to me oh yes it's wonderful what a spell he can cast over you but i'm a stuggy fellow myself maybe that's how it is i can't ever quite see him in the same light as the thin chaps do but that's just the looks of the thing i can see there isn't another man in the world like him and i'd cross the seas to join in with him if only for the fun of the thing but what about the end of the fun asked somers oh that i wouldn't know and nobody does for that matter but surely if one believes one believes a lot and one believes very little seems to me talking all in all seems to me we live from hand to mouth as far as the beliefs go you never would believe said somers laughing it was made to replied jazz twisting his face in his enigmatic smile summers looked at the thick stocky silent figure in the well-made dark clothes that didn't in the least belong to him there was something about him like a prisoner in a prison uniform in his town clothes and something of that in his bearing a stocky silent unconquerable prisoner and in his imprisoned soul another kind of mystery another sort of appeal the two men stood still in the cold wind that came up the sands to the southwest to the left as they faced the wind went the black railway track on the pier and the small engine stood dribbling on the right the track ran curiously black against a little farm place 
with a corrugated iron roof and past a big field where the stubble of maize or beans stood ragged and sere on into the little hollow of bush where the mine was beyond the stagnant creek it was curious how intensely black velvety and unnatural the railway track looked on this numb coast front the steamer hooted again it is up here said somers it is cold he's coming now though replied william james they stood together still another minute looking down the pale sands at the foam and the dark blue sea the sere grass scattered with bungalows it was a strange different bond of sympathy united them existed between summers and jack or summers and kangaroo hardly sympathy at all but an ancient sort of root knowledge well good-bye said summers wanting to be gone before the manager came up with the papers he shook hands with william james but as usual jazz gave him a slack hand their eyes met and the look something like a taunt in truella's secret of gray eye made somers stiffen his back and a kind of haughtiness flew into his soul different men different ways mr truella william james did not answer but smiled rather stubbornly it seemed to somers that the man would be smiling that stubborn taunting smile till the crack of doom i told mrs somers what i think about it said jazz with a very cornish accent i doubt if she'll ever do much more believin than i shall and the taunt was forked this time she says she believes entirely in kangaroo does she now who did she tell it to me stood with that faint grin on his face short and stocky and erect like a little post left standing somers looked at him again frowning and turned abruptly down the bank the smile left the face of the cornishman and he just looked obstinate indifferent and curiously alone as if he stood there all alone in the world he watched somers emerge on the sands below and go walking slowly among the sea-ragged flat shelves of the coast-bed rocks his head dropping looking in the pools his hands in his pocket and the obstinate light never changed in the eyes of the watcher not even when he turned to the approaching manager perhaps it was this meeting which made somers want to see kangaroo once more everything had suddenly become unreal to him he went to sydney and to cooley's rooms but during the first half hour the revulsion from the first persisted somers disliked his appearance and the kangaroo look made him feel devilish and then the queer slow manner of approach kangaroo was not really ready for his visitor and he seemed dense heavy absent and clownish it was that kangarooish clowniness that made a vicious kind of hate spring into somers face he talked in a hard cutting voice whom can you depend on in this world he was saying 
Look at these Australians. They're awfully nice, but they've got no inside to them. They're hollow. Do build on such hollow stalks. They may well call them corn stalks. They're marvelous and manly and independent and all that outside, but inside they are not. When they are quite alone, they don't exist. Yet many of them have been alone a long time in the bush, said Kangaroo, watching his visitor with slow, dumb, unchanging eyes alone what sort of alone physically alone and they've just gone hollow they're never alone in spirit quite quite alone in spirit and the people who have are the only people you can depend on i find them not here it seems to me least of all here the colonies make for outwardness everything is outward like hollow stalks of corn the life makes this inevitable all that struggle with bush and water and what not all the mad struggle with the material necessities and conveniences the inside soul just withers and goes into the outside and they're all just lusty robust hollow stalks of people the corn stalks bear the corn i find them generous to recklessness the greatest quality the old world is cautious and forever bargaining about its soul here they don't bother to bargain they've got no soul to bargain about but they're even more full of conceit what do you expect to do with such people build a straw castle you see i don't believe in them perhaps i know them a little better than you do perhaps you do it'll be cornstalk castle for all that what do you expect to build on they're generous generous to recklessness shouted kangaroo and i love them i love them don't you come here carping to me about them they are my children i love them if i'm not to believe in their generosity am i to believe in your cautious old world carping i won't he shouted fiercely i won't do you hear that and he sat hulked in his chair glowering like some queer dark god at bay summers paused and his heart failed then make me believe in them and their generosity he said dryly they're nice but they haven't got the last everlasting central bit of soul solitary soul that makes a man himself the central bit of himself they all merge to the outside away from the center and what can you do permanently with such people and have a fine cornstalk blaze but as for anything permanent tell you i hate permanency barked kangaroo the phoenix rises out of the ashes he rolled over angrily in his chair like ryder haggard's she i don't feel like risking it a second time said somers like the venomous serpent he was generous generous man kangaroo muttered to himself at least you can get a blaze out of them 
not like European wet mashes, strike a light, as you've said yourself. But a blaze for what? What's your blaze for? I don't care, yelled Kangaroo, springing with sudden magnificent swiftness to his feet and facing Summers and seizing him by the shoulders and shaking him till his head nearly fell off all the time. I don't care, I tell you, I don't care. Where there's fire, there's change, and where the fire is love, there's creation, seeds of fire. That's enough for me fire and seeds of fire and love that's all i care about don't carpet me i tell you don't carpet me with your old european damp spirit if you can't take fire we can that's all generous passionate men and you dare to carpet them you what have you to show and he went back to his chair like a great sulky bear god stupefied than convinced but he found himself again wanting to be convinced wanting to be carried away the desire hankered in his heart kangaroo had become again beautiful huge and beautiful like some god that sways and seems clumsy then suddenly flashes with all the agility of thunder and lightning huge and beautiful as he sat hulked in his chair Summers did wish he would get up again, carry him quite away. Where to? Where to? Where is one carried to when one is carried away? He had a bitter mistrust of seventh heavens and all heavens in general. But then the experience. If Kangaroo had got up at that moment, Summers would have given him his heart and soul and body for the asking and damn all consequences he longed to do it he knew that by just going over and laying a hand on the great figure of the sullen god he could achieve it kangaroo would leap like a thundercloud and catch him up catch him up and away into a transport a transport that should last for life he knew it but alas it was too late in some strange way, Summers felt he had come to the end of transports. They had no more mystery for him, at least this kind, or perhaps no more charm. Some bubble or other had burst in his heart. All his body and fibers wanted to go over and touch the other great being into a storm of response. But his soul wouldn't. The colored bubbles had burst up and adjusted his eyeglasses don't you run away with the idea though he said that i am just an emotional fool his voice was almost menacing and with a strange cold intellectual quality that somers had never heard before i believe in the one fire of love i believe it is the one inspiration of all creative activity I trust myself entirely to the fire of love. This I do with my reason also. I don't discard my reason. I use it at the service of love like a sharp weapon. I try to keep it very sharp and very dangerous. Where I don't love, I use only my will and my wits. 
where i love i trust to love alone the voice came cold and static summers sat rather blank the change frightened him almost as something obscene this was the reverse of the passionate thunder god but is love the only inspiration of creative activity he asked rather feebly this is the first time i have heard it questioned do you know of any other summers thought he did but he was not going to give himself away to that sharp weapon of a voice so he did not answer is there any other inspirational source than the force of love continued kangaroo there is no other love makes the trees flower and shed their seed love makes the animals mate and birds put on their best feather and sing their best songs and all that man has ever created on the face of the earth or ever will create if you will allow me to use the word create with regard to man's highest productive activities it's a word i always use myself said somers naturally since you know how to think inspiredly well then all that man has ever created or ever will create while he remains man has been created in the inspiration and by the force of love and not only man all the living creatures are swayed to creation to new creation to the creation of song and beauty and lovely gesture by love i will go further i believe the sun's attraction for the earth is a form of love then why doesn't the earth fly into the sun said summers for the same reason love is mutual each attracts the other but in natural love each tries at the same time to withhold the other keep the other true to its own beloved nature to any true lover it would be the greatest disaster love broke down from her own nature and self and began to identify herself with him with his nature and self i say to any genuine lover this is the greatest disaster and he tries by every means in his power to prevent this the earth and sun on their plane have discovered a perfect equilibrium but man has not yet begun his lesson is so much harder his consciousness is at once so complicated and so cruelly limited this is the lesson before us man has loved the beloved for the sake of love so far but rarely rarely has he consciously known that he could only love her for her own separate strange self forever strange and a joyful mystery to him lovers henceforth have got to know one another a terrible mistake and a self-delusion true lovers only learn that they know less and less and less of each other the mysteries of each grows more startling to the other the tangible unknown that is the magic the mystery and the grandeur of love that it puts the tangible unknown in our arms and against our breast the beloved we have made a fatal mistake we have got to know so much about things that we think we know the actuality and contain it 
the sun is as much outside us and as eternally unknown as it ever was and the same with each man's beloved like the sun what do the facts we know about a man amount to only two things we can know of him and this by pure soul intuition no if he is true to the flame of life and love which is inside his heart or if he is false to it if he is true if he is willfully false and inimical to the fire of life and love in his own heart then he is my enemy as well as his own Summers listened he seemed to see it all and hear it all with marvellous clarity and he believed that it was all true yes he said i believe that is all true what is it then that you disbelieve i believe that love is the one and only exclusive force or mystery of living inspiration i don't quite believe that there is something else kangaroo looked at him for once overbearingly and with a sort of contempt tell me what it is he replied briefly i am not very clear myself and you see what i want to say you don't want to hear yes i do with your ears and your critical mind only say it anyhow say it richard sat feeling very stupid the communicative soul is like the ass you can lead him to the water but you can't make him drink why he says it means an end of us and what we are in the first place and then a re-entry into us of the great god who enters us from below not from above kangaroo sat bunched up like some creature watching round-eyed out of a darker corner he enters us from below he barked not through the spirit enters us from the lower self the dark self the phallic self if you like enters us from the phallic self snapped kangaroo sharply sacredly the god you can never see or visualize who stands dark on the threshold of the phallic me the phallic you my dear young friend what is that but love Richard shook his head in silence no he said in a slow remote voice i know your love kangaroo working everything from the spirit from the head you work the lower self as an instrument of the spirit now it is time for the spirit to leave us again it is time for the son of man to depart and leave us dark in front of the unspoken god who is just beyond the dark threshold of the lower self my lower self there is a great god on the threshold of my lower self whom i fear while he is my glory and the spirit comes out like a spent candle kangaroo watched with a heavy face like a mask it is time for the spirit to leave us he murmured in a somnambulist voice time for the spirit to leave us 
Somers, who had dropped his face, hiding it as he spoke, watched the other man from under his brows. Kangaroo, who still sat impassive, frozen, antagonized Buddha, gave himself a jerk of recovery. Ah, well, he sighed with a dreary, impatient, condescending sigh. I was never able to follow my mysticism and metaphysics. One of my many limitations? I don't know what you mean. But what is your love but a mystical thing? said Richard indignantly. My love? Why, that is something I feel, as plain as a toothache. Well, so do I feel the other, and love has become like cardboard to me, said Richard, still indignant. Like cardboard? Well, I don't see love like cardboard, dear boy, for you are a dear boy in spite of yourself. Oh, yes, you are. There's some demon inside you makes you perverse and won't let you be the dear beautiful thing you are. But I'm going to exorcise that demon. Summers gave a short laugh. <laughs> the very voice of the demon speaking. Oh, yes, I am, said Kangaroo in a steely voice. I'm going to exorcise that demon and release your beautiful Andromeda soul. Try, ejaculated Richard, dryly turning aside his face in distaste. Kangaroo leaped to his feet and stood towering over the little enemy as if he would stoop over him and smother him in violent warmth and drive out the demon in that way. But Richard sat cold and withheld, and Kangaroo had not the power to touch him. I'm going to try, shouted the lawyer in his slightly husky roar. You've made it my prerogative by telling me to try. I'm going to love you, and you won't get away from that. I'm the hound of heaven after you, my boy, and I'm fatal to the hellhound that's leading you. Do you know I love you, that I loved you long before I met you? Richard curled an arrow in his chair like a snake, glanced up at the big man projecting over him. A sort of magnetic effusion seemed to come out of Kangaroo's body, and Richard's hand was almost drawn, in spite of himself, to touch the other man's body. He had deliberately to refrain from laying his hand on the near, generous stomach of the kangaroo, because automatically his hand would have lifted off that rest. But he prevented himself, and the eyes of the two men met. Kangaroo searched Lovett's eyes, and they seemed to be of cloudy blue like hell smoke, impenetrable and devilish. Kangaroo watched a long time, but the other man was the unchangeable. Kangaroo turned aside suddenly. Ah, well, he said, I can see there is a beast in the way. There is a beast in your eyes, Lovett, and I can't conquer him then. Then woe betide you, my dear, but I love you, you see. Sounds like a threat, laughed Somers. Kangaroo leaned and laid his hand gently on Lovett's shoulders. Don't say that. His voice was small now and very gentle. I loved you before I knew you. My soul cries for you. 
and you hurt me with the demon that is in you. He became very pale, and was silent for some moments. The hand sank heavier, nearer, on his shoulder. You see, said Summers, trying hard to be fair, what you call my demon is what I identify myself with. It's my best me, and I stick to it. I think love, all oh, this love of ours, is a devilish thing now, a slow poison. Really, I know the dark god at the lower threshold, even if I have to repeat it like a phrase, and in the sacred dark men meet and touch, and it is a great communion. But it isn't this love. There's no love in it, but something deeper. Love seems to me somehow trivial, and the spirit seems like something that belongs to paper. I can't help it. I know another god. The pressure of the hand became inert. But aren't you really inventing other terms for the same thing that I mean, and that I call love? said Kangaroo in a strange, toneless voice, looking aside. Does it seem to you that I am? asked Lova gently and dispassionately. The strange, great, passionate cloud of Kangaroo still hung there, hovering over the pale, sharp isolation of Summers, who lay looking up, and then it seemed as if the glow and vibration left Kangaroo's body. The cloud became gray and heavy. He sighed, removed his hand, and turned away. Ah, well, he said, ah, well. Summers rose, feeling now, and feeling frail. I'll go, he said. Yes, do go, said Kangaroo. And without another word, Summers went, leaving the other man sunk in a great heap in his chair, as if defeated. Summers did not even pity him. His heart felt queer and cave-like and devoid of emotion. End of chapter 7 The Battle of Tongues Part 1 of 2